from in and around the Capital Region on the Alive Radio Network. This is The Matter at Hand. I'm Alicia Purdy. This week marked the 80th anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. After Captain Mitsuo Fushida and a fleet of Japanese fighter pilots came roaring out of the Pacific cloud cover on a Sunday morning and bombed the American naval base at Pearl Harbor, targeting a hefty portion of the American Pacific fleet with destruction and death before disappearing into the sunrise. On that infamous morning, Japanese fighter pilots made final arrangements for their deaths. The aviators penned farewell letters and slipped them into envelopes, along with locks of their hair that their loved ones could use for their funerals. Before their departure, First Lieutenant Futsada Aida famously vowed to end the lives of as many Americans as he could, promising to use his own plane as a weapon if he had to. And he died in the attack, attempting to dive bomb a fleet of American military vehicles, unknowingly creating a new strategy for what would one day become the Japanese suicide pilot fleet known as the Kamikaze. On the 26th of November 1941, a Japanese attack fleet consisting of six aircraft carriers, two battleships and hundreds of aircraft departed from Japan and began the long journey to an assembly point 230 miles north of the Hawaiian island of Oahu. According to the Imperial War Museum in London, it wasn't the cause of the Second World War specifically that prompted Japan to attack the American base at Pearl Harbor, but it was another war altogether. In fact, it was a decade-long war with nearby China to expand the Japanese kingdom that had caused the country to become desperate for resources to continue their war effort and to keep going. And to do that, they needed more of the commodities that they had been importing from the United States. London's Imperial War Museum noted that when Japan began a strategy against the Chinese to move its armies closer to U.S.-held territories in the South Pacific, the American government pushed back. This worked in isolating the Chinese, but the U.S. saw it as yet another act of Japanese aggression that threatened U.S. interests in the Pacific. Coupled with Japan's recent alliance with Nazi Germany and Italy, the U.S. responded by imposing an embargo on iron, steel and copper, all of which were essential to Japan's war industries and which were largely imported from the U.S. After the embargo on exporting goods to Japan didn't seem to work, the U.S. responded by freezing all of Japan's assets in the United States, preventing them from purchasing oil for their war efforts against the Chinese. Britain and the Netherlands did the same, causing Japan to lose 94% of its oil supply in one fell swoop. 
They first attempted to negotiate with the US, who demanded their immediate withdrawal from China and the Tripartite Pact. But for Japan, accepting those demands was akin to complete defeat. Unwilling to give up their imperial ambitions, the Japanese felt their only option was to seize the natural resources they needed by force. Japan believed that this time, the US would almost certainly respond to their invasion with force of their own. The Japanese decided then that they had to blunt that US response by attacking the US Pacific Fleet at anchor at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. The attack on Pearl Harbor was what the Japanese believed would cripple the United States and buy them time to win in their war efforts against China in the Pacific and in Southeast Asia. The Americans were taken completely by surprise. The Americans believed that the water was too shallow for a torpedo attack, but the Japanese had created a brand new kind of torpedo specifically designed for the waters of Pearl Harbor, and it had a devastating effect. While the Japanese knew they would not win in a long drawn out war against the powerhouse United States military, their strategy to damage the country in the short term was a gamble in hopes the Americans wouldn't bother to fight an enemy so far from home. In fact, at that time, the war in Europe, not yet called the Second World War, wasn't seen as an American problem. The invasion of Poland by Nazi Germany in 1939, followed by hostilities from England, France, Italy, and the Soviet Union were continuing in full swing. In June 1941, Germany then plowed into Russian territory, but it was all a European matter. The United States felt protected and secure between two giant oceans, and many believed they were safe and that there was no need for the United States to join in the fight. Japan, like its infamous Axis partners, struck first and declared war afterwards. Costly to our Navy was the loss of war vessels, airplanes and equipment, but more costly to Japan was the effectiveness of its foul attack in immediately unifying America in its determination to fight and win the war thrust upon it and to win the peace that will follow. The Japs copied their German masters in striking hard at airfields. Scores of planes were bruised and battered by the Japs' aerial bombs. Many of these were demolished beyond repair. In the space of just over an hour, the Japanese military had sunk or damaged 18 American warships, 188 aircraft, killed over 2,400 Americans, and severely damaged the base's infrastructure. The Japanese presumed their attack would force the Americans into a peace agreement so they could presume purchasing oil for their war with the Chinese. Initially, the United States was too damaged to launch an immediate response in the South Pacific as the Japanese continued to take U.S. and British territories like the Philippines and Guam in their war effort against China. But the Americans did not respond to the attack on Pearl Harbor with a peace agreement. Quite the opposite. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The day after the attack, President Franklin Roosevelt spoke to Congress, requesting a formal declaration of war against Japan and let the entire world know the Americans were coming and they were ready to fight and they were equipped to win. Mr. Shigemitsu comes to the surrender table. The time is 9.05 a.m. 
General Yoshijiro Umetsu of the Imperial General Staff signs for the Japanese Army. The surrender documents by which Japan agrees to lay down arms completely and to obey all allied orders issued by General MacArthur were printed by the Army on rare parchment found in a basement in ravaged Manila. After World War II ended, a number of Japanese military personnel were put on trial for war crimes related to their treatment of prisoners of war, even calling upon Captain Mitsuo Fushida, who had led the attack on Pearl Harbor, to testify what he had seen the Japanese do to American prisoners. Fushida was angry and harbored resentment against the United States for decades due to its restriction on Asian immigration, and he believed Americans had treated Japanese POWs just as badly as the Japanese had treated the Americans. In fact, after the trials, Fushida began to seek out recently released Japanese POWs to gather evidence against the United States. It was around the same time that Allied Supreme Commander General Douglas MacArthur felt he was called by the Lord to bring the gospel to the Japanese people in the aftermath of the Second World War. In the summer of 1945, much of the nation had been leveled by the incessant bombing of American air power and then in the late 1940s and throughout the 1950s, MacArthur spoke freely that post-war Japan was in a spiritual vacuum. All its gods had failed, its invincible military, its divine emperor, its 1,000-year belief that the land of the rising sun would rule the world, leaving the conquered people of Japan with nothing. In spite of the resistance from many, MacArthur boldly sent out the word, send missionaries. He pleaded to a number of religious groups, send Bibles, telling U.S. News & World Report in 1955 that no phase of the occupation had left him with a greater sense of personal satisfaction than his spiritual stewardship. Over the next five years, some 5,000 missionaries from all different kinds of churches went to Japan, and the land was flooded with millions of Bibles. While General MacArthur was following his calling to bring the gospel into Japan, Captain Mitsuo Fushida was actively seeking to expose the United States' treatment of prisoners of war when he encountered his own former flight engineer, Katsuo Kanagasaki, who had been presumed dead but was captured by the Americans. Kanagasaki told Fushida of American missionary Peggy Koval, who treated him and his fellow prisoners of war with great kindness, even though Japanese soldiers had killed her missionary parents in the Philippines. Kanagasaki's testimony was so powerful and so opposite of the revenge and suicide that had led Captain Mitsuo Fushida throughout his life that his heart began to turn toward the Lord. And in September 1949, Fushida, who had led the attack on Pearl Harbor and drank champagne after its devastation, became a Christian. He later said that looking back, he could see the Lord had laid his hand upon Fushida so that he would serve the Lord. If I had to put one word out there that this story might be helpful to the nation of Japan, it would be hope. Martin Bennett is the author of Wounded Tiger, a book based on the life and redemption of Captain Mitsuo Fushida. Bennett wrote a screenplay based on his book and was offered a large sum of money to sell the screenplay to Hollywood movie producers, an offer which he turned down after learning Fushida's faith that he had spent the remainder of his life sharing with the world wouldn't be featured. I believe this story will bring hope to people who feel hopeless, and I believe that will open the door to faith, which leads to love, which leads to relationship with God. And this book will be more of a catalyst to bring hope to the nation of Japan. I'm about to do is a very extraordinary one and a very tough one in many ways because I'm not sure yet how to do it myself but I think we'll all find out together I ask uh, your patience and your interest and a chance for this gentleman to be heard 
This is Captain Mitsuo Fuchida. In 1965, Mitsuo Fushida appeared on the Merv Griffin Show, where he spoke in halting English of the testimony of his friend and the testimony of Jacob DeShazer, an American POW who shared his story of finding God in a Japanese camp where he hated the Japanese people, was saved after reading the Bible and returned to Japan as a missionary. He read the Bible. He met the Christ, then his hatred changed to love. His hatred changed into love. He came back to Japan as a missionary. This story touched upon my heart. So this inspired me to get a Bible so that I could read this wonderful book for myself, by myself. And I bought a Bible, and while I was reading the Bible, I met the Christ. This is my question. The testimonies of these two men, along with his own reading of the Bible, led Fushida to a saving knowledge of Christ and a transformation in his heart. After surrendering his life to Jesus Christ, the former Japanese war hero and architect of the attack on the American base at Pearl Harbor spent the rest of his life sharing about the peace that only Christ can bring. Do you still believe in war, Mr. Fushimi? I believe the complete peace of the world through Christ. I did not believe to keep the peace by the human knowledge. Thank you, Mr. Fushida. <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis Miller. Mitsuo Fushido established the Captain Fushida Evangelistical Association and began to travel full-time, sharing a presentation of his conversion story. In his autobiography, From Pearl Harbor to Calvary, written in 1959, Fushida wrote, I remember the thrill that was mine when, in one of my first evangelistic meetings, I led my first soul to Christ in America, and he was one of my own countrymen. In 1952, Fushida toured with the worldwide Christian Missionary Army of Sky Pilots. Over the years, he authored a number of books, including the autobiography and an account of the Battle of Midway. He died in Japan at age 73. Examining the issues that pertain to the people of God, this is the matter at hand. From in and around the capital region, on the Alive Radio Network, I'm Alicia Purdy.